I'm sorry, Taylor. I think I ran hit by the numbers on two. You see, statistics are the bigger picture. Now I'm directed to the fifth element. My heart, fifth element hip hop, which is knowledge. And we're here in person. We're fucking here in person. We're here in person. It's digging digits. Digging the Digits live from fucking London, which is pretty exciting. I haven't listened to anything this week, so it's going to have to be Charlie. Charlie's going to have to carry. Harry, what are you listening to this week? We're in the same room together. People don't know on, on, on Spotify. We're literally in the same room together. That's crazy. Well, never we're on podcasts, but yeah, um, yeah, we're in person. Um, not in the best type of stars is recording-wise. I feel like this is going to be a bitch to edit, but um, it is what it is. It's all good, but yeah. On the front of listening, All right? So, um, since Ben's been obviously travelling this past week, um, he hasn't listened to anything. But I listened to a few. I had a few from uh, last week that I wanted to get through. Um, Jordan McCampa, uh, "Welcome Home Kid," um, really underrated songwriter and singer in general. Um, think like Ed Sheeran, but black, um, but actually just not corny. Um, I was going to say, yeah, not corny. Um, I feel like this project's really good. Um, just jump in uh really starts with like uh starts with a good track i forget what it's i think it's called like um playground or something and um it's kind of one of those tracks where um you he, he's kind of just telling the childhood story and he's just painting picture and it's just really really cool and really easy to listen to um majority of the album's more of just about you know family friends a lot of relationship talk as well so uh, like i meant like i said you know ed sheeran vibes but but good. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's really good. Uh, there's a good one about friends um, and kind of just how time passes, which is a very fascinating uh, track. Uh, that's definitely worth a listen. Uh, Dreamcast Mo in no caps so and one word. Dream like Dreamcast like the uh, like the like the console. Like the console. Uh, Molly's son. Um, so this dude, you can easily tell when someone's from like the DMV area or especially Washington DC because they just have this like dancey, I mean obviously the vibe is go-go, right? But it kind of just takes that and then goes elsewhere with it. Um, it's kind of interesting, um, an interesting uh, sonic mixture for sure. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting EP. Um, Silhouettes Projects uh, with their volume two. Um, at least like 50 people on here um, and maybe maybe like six that I'm aware of <laughs> uh, but that's kind of the point um, we did an episode on the uh, on volume one um, which was really a good listen and um, uh, yeah this is more of the same um, more of just really good um, upcoming um, artists uh, UK wise obviously mixture of um, hip hop and R&B mainly, um, but yeah, it's just some really good tracks on there. Um, Carl Benjamin, Nick's Northwest. So I should probably get it up if I'm actually gonna go ahead and name people. But um, obviously, shout out to Ash Kosher and uh, Fevel um, for the, you know, quote unquote architects of the project. Um, but yeah, it's just a really, really good um, concept. So I'm always into that. Um, Shade, good track um, Ends on my back Shout out to George on that one Really did good on that one uh, Cheap Cigars 
that was a really good track. Um, but yeah, some really good, um, really good stuff over, overall, and uh, all done independently. And um, we're here for that as always. Uh, Joel Ross with New Blues, uh, spelled N-U-B-L-U-E-S. Um, jazz records, and he comes through with just like mainly uh, on his side a uh, vibraphone. And um, I'm here for vibraphone records. I'm here for it. A vibraphone's fire. A vibraphone's fire. So um, yeah, it's always worth uh, definitely worth a listen. Um, yeah, definitely good. Uh, Kalela Raven the remixes. I said I I said when I uh, put her album Raven in my top ten last year that I'll, I can't wait for the remixes. So I felt like I had to at least give it a spin. And um, yeah, there's some really good stuff on there. Um, I feel like I have to pick out certain tracks because obviously, as you can imagine, with uh, an album full of remixes, not all of them are going to hit. Um, but you know, majority of them were you know you know fine not worth not worth skipping at all um there was a good um i think a good uh mixture of um of, of vibes especially and um i mean let me throw out some uh contacts uh, with karen yame kg that was really good um anything with washed away was really good. Um, uh, Liv was on uh, one of the Washed Away remixes. That was really good. Um, Let It Go. <laughs> I love these names. Uh, I'm just trying Nguzunguzu. Nguzunguzu. And DJ Gazy. Great name. DJ Gazy. Really good. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Uh, uh, far away remixes pretty most of them were pretty good um and there was one particular divorce track i think it was one with dj manny that was really good um but yeah plenty of good tracks on there um plenty of good remixes um on to this week um bunch of eps on this week for me um john glacier um like a ribbon really dig this ep actually really enjoyed this one um i love her voice over these kind of uh electronic kind of uh, uh production i'm really here for that it was a really good ep bishop naru uh for the nun nunners nonas and n-o-n-e-r-s um yeah it's pretty good it's pretty solid um yeah just pretty good care package from bishop naru nothing to write home about pretty solid and lastly uh la russell and hit boy at rent do um, the Russell, uh, from, from what I've seen, this is the first time I've spun him, but, um, judging by his, um, uh, judging by his, uh, discography and how consistently he drops, it's, uh, Death Taxes and La Russell dropping. Um, he, he drops a lot. He drops a hell of a lot. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's it, <laughs> but... Hey man, this uh, the, the EP was pretty good actually. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Hit boy, you know, obviously um, a fave here. Um, classic West West Coast production for a majority of it. Um, a lot of like uh, glow up talk in the first couple of tracks, and then it just kind of gets into um, um, just usual brag braggadocio raps um, throughout the most most mean throughout the meantime. Um, but yeah, man, really, really solid EP. Can't complain. Shout out to La Russell and obviously here, boy. Um, but yeah, um, we're going to do something a little bit different for this episode, as you can imagine. Um, we're going to kind of half do a, um, half do a Neighbours because I really want to do this and, uh, half just having Ben talk about his experiences so far in London, obviously in London town. Um, he's been here, as this episode drops, he's been here for exactly a week. Um, so, um, 
yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that on the back end. Um, but yeah, I wanted to start with um, a kind of a Neighbours. I think I'm probably going to title this Neighbours and the other half is going to be obviously um, Ben just talking his, talking his stuff, um, talking his experiences. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about this story of um, a, a, a band, basically. That, um, I would highly assume that none of you guys have listened to before. Um, I didn't until, funny enough, my pops put me onto. He put me onto the documentary, but he didn't put me onto the actual group, which I feel like he did me dirty. Um, <laughs> but you know, forgive, forgive and forget. Um, but it's a it's a convoluted story in some ways, but I'll try and um, lock it down. Um, there is a documentary that I watched um, this past Sunday. Um, well, not the past Sunday of this episode dropping, but the Sunday before that. Um, I went to a Genesis cinema um, in Myland, a uh, really good spot, um, highly recommend, nice little local spot, and um, yeah, so I went to, I went there to see um, a, uh, a documentary um, called uh, Getting It Back, the story of Samande, and um, I didn't know who Samande were, um, I saw the uh, trailer for it, and I saw, um, you know, DJ Hollywood, um, uh, there was a reference, I, th- I saw one reference saying Mars Ace was in it, and I was like, okay, sign me up. <laughs> Did not know that, but um, he's actually very key in the story, and um, the interesting thing about the documentary and just this whole, the story of this group is that um, there's a lot of people that flew the flag for Samande. And um, it was kind of a if-you-know-you-know you know kind of band. Um, very similar to, I guess, like Salt in some ways. But Salt obviously is known for um, very, I, I assume, you know, pretty well-known these days. And I don't think they're going to die out in popularity um, in the way Samandi did. But Samandi is a unique story, I feel. Um, a very unique story. So it's a... There's a load of there's a lot of um, people in the in the band. Um, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, core members, um, and there were also four uh, more early members as well. But they were kind of like in the um, in the uh, uh, they either left early or you know left at some point. So yeah, there's about nine um, core members, and. Um, Basically, the story is, is that this group was formed out of um, a very local um, scene, similar to Wu-Tang, actually, um, in how they basically lived, um, a lot of them lived on like the same road as each other. They were children of Windrush. Um, for those that don't know, Windrush Generation is a generation of um, Caribbean um contingent shall we say that um came here in britain in the uh late 40s early 50s and the 60s um to basically just gain work and to help you know the 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 advertisement was to rebuild the uk obviously but um you know is what is and um yeah and you know i've said before i'm a child of that in some fashion well i'm a grandson of that in some fashion um and these guys were literally children of it. Um, you know, in the documentary, a couple of them talked about how they got to England when they were six years old, and uh, and it was just the, the first thing that they always say is, "It's cold," and um, it is cold, and um, 
yeah, they basically just um, grew up in uh, grew up in Britain, but for most of their lives, obviously, as um, you know, six, seven year olds, and um, kept going. And um, they clearly, obviously, had. Um, if you guys ever listen to their music, which obviously is the point here, I highly recommend you do. Um, is a it's spelled Simande, by the way. I was saying Simandi, Simande. It's, you know, but it's Simande. Um, and, um, yeah, the story kind of just goes as um, these guys were, most of them are very local, most of them knew each other, and they started, you know, doing instrumentation. And, uh, you know, there were bands before that in, you know, the same way a lot of bands, you know, are made up of other bands. Um, and they kind of just came together and just started jamming. And there was, uh, you know, people that were coming in and seeing that, oh, this, this sounds great, this sounds unique. And um, they either joined or just, um, you know, had to be part of it somehow. Um, middle, 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 they started to uh, basically gain notoriety. Um, I think the guy's name is John Schrader, if I remember correctly. And it's basically this white guy and he started producing the, uh, producing the records for them. And um, the record in particular we're going to talk about is their first album, which is their self, self-titled album, um, Samandi, Samande, sorry, which um, dropped in 1972. Um, they technically have um, five albums, um, but only three are on streaming at the moment. Their first three, um, Samande, Second Time Round, and Promise Heights. Um, and those were 72, 73, and 74. Um, hopefully it's not lost on you guys, but it's they come around at the same time as hip-hop is born and that's key actually in this story um hip-hop is a very key element in this uh, group story um which funny enough when uh, a couple of them were interviewed um when i went to see the, the screening um specifically uh steve scipio um the bass player and um sam kelly on drums um they talked about how um they didn't actually clock hip-hop was so um, rooted in their actual revival, um, you know, <laughs> what's the word? Uh, spoiler alert, they do come back together at some point. <laughs> 2010, they actually reform. 2010, which is crazy. Yeah, 2010, they refor- uh, reform. Um, and, you know, they, they're still they're doing live shows now. And um, that's they've gone immediately on top of my list now. <laughs> they're definitely in my top five. I need to see them right now kind of thing. I uh, need to make that pilgrimage. Um, but yes, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so yeah, they basically just um, start getting production and um, they, yeah, uh, entirely by John Schroeder and it goes through this uh, record label called Janus Records or Janus Records, um, which is actually in the US. Um, so John Schroeder puts them onto this um, US, uh, US people and this gets signed by Janus Records and um, the self-titled album drops. Now, I can't, it's hard to describe how interesting the album is, um, in terms of listening. Um, I feel the, that you can, you can kind of, uh, pigeonhole it if you want to and just call it jazz fusion, funk fusion. Um, but there's so many elements, um, that is covered within the album. Um, you know, funk, soul, reggae, rock, African, uh, elements, Calypso, which, um, which is where Simande comes from. Um, it's a uh, calypso. Um, uh, just a saying they do. They say they say in calypso, old calypso music, um, jazz, of course, and um, uh, another thing that they call naya rock as well. So it's a lot. It's a melting pot, and um, 
you can only gauge how much of a melting pot it is when you actually, um, especially watch the documentary and see the people that talk about these, uh, talk about this group in such high esteem. Um, the likes of uh, Jim James from My Morning Jacket, um, the trio of Crangbin, who are my favourite band um, at the moment, uh, Loyal Karna, um, Master Race, um, <laughs> my, my Pringles cap. Pringles cat fell down, guys, sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, and yeah, plenty of other eyes. Um, but mainly I'll reference Master Race and also um, the likes of, uh, well, the, what was it, the 11 New York DJs at the time, the disco DJs that basically, you know, made hip-hop and uh, in, made hip-hop in this foundation when it comes to clubbing and the club scene in, in New York. Um, but yeah, they, when they released in 73... Um, it took a hit in the US. It, you know, they start, they, they generally were charting. And, um, they actually went to the US, um, just literally just got shipped out to the US and ended up, uh, uh supporting Al Green. And, um, yeah, they supported Al Green. And just to know, like, this is, these guys just started, they were just jamming in Brixton. Um, I think it's Brixton, I forget. Um, and, um, yeah, they just, <laughs> they, they were just doing it, man. Oh, well, it was recorded specifically in um, uh, Delane, Delane Lee Studios, um, which is now Warner Brothers, uh, Delane Lee Studios, um, and that's in Soho. Um, had the likes of The Animals, Beatles, um, Queen, Rolling Stones, Bee Gees, Pink, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, all the, all the people. Um, very famous spot. And yeah, they recorded there, uh, but they also obviously started in Brixton. But the fact that they went within like a you know a year or two just from Brixton, and now they're just touring the US, right? Um, and yeah, they have the time of their lives, um, obviously, as you can imagine. And uh, it all happens in a whirlwind. And then they come back to Britain, and nobody wants to hear about them. Um, and there's a reason for that in some way, um, you know. And the reason, the main reason that is covered in the documentary and is um, well documented is the British music recording industry as a, as a whole. Because Simande was so, um, uh, so different and so, um, you couldn't put him in a box, you know, sonically, you couldn't put him in a box. Especially in America at the time, like... Was there anything like that in America at the time? Like, no. You had, obviously, you know, funk-wise, you know, you had, like, James Brown. Oh, yeah, of course. But James Brown weren't doing, weren't combining, you know, Calypso and reggae and all that stuff. Yeah, there's these huge instrumental stretches on the album that you're not getting anywhere else in popular music. Crazy instrumental stretches. Um, highly recommend Dove and Bra. Um, those two tracks are, re- are talked about heavily in the, in the documentary and for e- obvious reason. Um, they literally do, there's literally a whole bit where um, they talk about bra and um, the DJs especially, um, oh, I forgot who it was. Um, it wasn't DJ Hollywood, but um, Jazzy J, I think. Yeah, I think it was Jazzy J. Um, not Jazzy Jeff, Jazzy J. And um, yeah, he uh, basically just did the mix that all the DJs were doing at that time. And it was just this like, um, baseline and they just looped it as you can imagine. And as you guys are probably well aware in hip hop history, that's what, you know, hip hop became be- uh, begun as it was just break beats and people just took break beats. So, you know, the likes of, um, 
uh, 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 funky drummer, for example, right? Um, that's the easy one. But yeah, Simande was one of those was one of those artists that the DJs just really fucked with um, because they just had those extended breakbeats, like you were talking about, and extended uh, streaks of just music and just vibes. Um, but yeah, you had your James Browns, you had your Al Greens, you had something for everything. But Simande did everything. They literally did everything. Um, and I don't think they knew at the time how revolutionary they were. Um, but yeah, um, so in the uh, uh, in that fr- front of charting, to go back to that, um, they peaked on number five, uh, 85, sorry, on the Billboard Top LPs, uh, number 24 on Soul Albums in the US, um, and two singles in The Message and Bra, uh, made it to the Soul Singles chart, reaching 22 and 51 respectively. And uh, the message peaked at number 48 on the Billboard Hot 100 Which is singles chart. Which is crazy, by the way. Like, if you're sitting at home not understanding how big of a deal that is for an artist or a group to come from another country and their first fucking single actually charts and charts highly, like, that's massive, man. That's huge. That's a huge fucking look. And they didn't chart in the UK. Um, which is, yeah, which is wild. Yeah. Um, they did. Out, they were in the Scottish albums charts uh, for what it's worth in uh, number seventy eight. But yeah, they weren't. They didn't try and no UK chart um, in any fashion like that. Um, so yeah, the going back to the British recording industry, they didn't know what to do with this group. Um, radios weren't playing them, um, and obviously radio play was very important back then. Um, so then you have the likes of uh, Craig Charles, um, uh, obviously on the radio. Um, for those that know. Um, Craig Charles, G, absolute goat, um, legend in the game. Um, uh, 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 Jazzy B, uh, Norman J. Um, yeah, these names are legendary. Look them up for yourself. And um, yeah, they 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 basically just flew the torch for these guys. But then in the US, decades down the line, and this is what was also interesting about the documentary. They did this bit where they had like their names and like you know maybe the group they're in or whatever or what they do. Um, and then it also had like on the third line, discovered Simande in the 90s or the 2000s, 2010s or in the 80s. It was fascinating how, you know, these, these pe- every decade just had like a, a swell of people, of notable people, um, just suddenly fucking with these, uh, this group. And um, there was a good one, there was a good quote by like a, a cut chemist, um, uh, Jurassic Five, um, and obviously, you know, Jurassic Five and the of Jurassic 5 fame, and um, he he said, when he did shows back in LA, back in the day, he played Samande just to see who knew. Like, it was a real if-you-know-you-know you know thing. Cool, I like that, that sounds sick. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was. It was so underground, but if you just knew them, you knew they were just at the absolute shit. But these guys just, you know, they did three records, and after 74, they just broke up. Um, a couple of them went into like law. Um, a couple of them just uh, kept playing. I think um, uh, I think Sam Kelly, the drummer, um, he's uh, he's been doing drumming like professionally and doing it in like you know just big places, George Holland and other places. Um, he's been constantly performing um, in other pla- in other uh, uh, other noble spots um, across the decades. Um, so yeah, you know some of them stayed in music. Some of them kind of just were left in limbo. Um, waiting for the time where they come back, uh, like they come back together, and it seemed inevitable. To be honest, in my mind, I was like, these these guys, these guys have to come back, surely. 
Um, and not to spoil the documentary and obviously spoil the whole thing, but yes, they do get back together and that's kind of the end of the, uh, end of the doc. But the album itself, I listened back to it, um, literally as soon as I left the cinema and I was just, I was just literally blown away and, um, I've never heard anything like it. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a long way to, um, get to, um, about 20 minutes of talking there and, uh, <laughs> 20 minutes of uh, teeing up but yeah ben how did you feel about the album i love the album man i think it's freaking amazing um i'm not shocked at all that they blew up in the u.s so the story of like how that kind of happened is i'm just reading it here there was a guy called john schroeder and he was a uk r&b impresario apparently according to the vinyl factory um so he went into to soho in a strip club in 1971 and apparently he just went in there to enjoy himself and he heard some music downstairs and he went down there and he said the crowd was just so engaged. Like, I mean, Charlie and I went to a gig last night and everyone was just having a fucking time. Like, we were up, we were dancing. And I can imagine not having ever seen anything like that before and then going down and seeing that and being like, what the fuck is the energy down here? Like, the crowd was so engaged that he had to take them back. So he went back to the US, um, pitched it with his new record label, he had a briefcase full of cash. He flew back to London and he recorded their demos, the message and four other tracks. And then they recorded the album. Um, and it, it just does not shock me that the album was successful in the US at all because it's just like there's so many stretches on there that like shock you and like not in a bad way, not in a way of like pulling you out of the experience. It's just like you're in a groove and you're in a vibe and it just keeps evolving as the album progresses and messages come in and they go away and there are these like epic jazz flute sections as well. It just puts you in a genuinely good mood, but there's messages in the lyrics as well. So, you know, I was just walking around London today listening to it in the sun and it was just a great fucking time because it's just so much fun and you could see how that energy would translate into a live performance and how that that would like really move the momentum. I think they it says here they were the first British band to ever play the Apollo in Harlem. Um, that does not shock me either. The thing that did shock me a little bit was that they weren't successful in Britain. I guess they probably weren't marketed very well in Britain potentially. Um, but, you know, as I say, it doesn't shock me. If you want to put on an album and have a good fucking time, this is the album to put on. It's just a great vibe. I've not listened to their other work. Is it similar to this? Their, their, their later records? I've not listened to them. I haven't gone to it um, yet, but I will at some point. Um, I wanted to just listen to the first one just so I wanted to, you know, just confirm to myself that I just genuinely wanted to do this episode. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty much just uh, very similar stuff. You know, like I said, it's, it's done in within a three-year span. Like, it's done very... The whole thing it comes and goes very quickly. Um, like they form in '72, and it's done in '74, pretty much. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a whirlwind in so many ways. Um, you know, so at least you know you, you know obviously groups that last their whole lifetime, pretty much. Um, and then you have these groups that just drop something, and then they and then they're gone, right? And like I said, the revival of this group is is fascinating in hindsight, and this documentary I think couldn't have come at a better time because, um, you know, if this dropped today, it would just fit so seamlessly in um, in in the in the space right now. I feel 
Um, it was so, this was so different in the seventies, and you know, going back to what you mentioned about um, the UK uh, UK industry and just um, you know not locking onto it. You know, there was a there was a, there's only a, <coughs> excuse me there's only for a handful of um, of groups um, that actually uh, managed to gain notoriety. You know, like the only ones I can name off the top of my head is like you know the Specials, UB40, mm-hmm. uh, Madness, mm-hmm. um, and there's a big difference between those and Samande, which is that Samande was all black, and the others were mixed. And um, I think that had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it, you know, obviously the um, comparing, comparing Samande to um, the specials and madness and that, it feels a bit unfair um, in, you know, in some ways because while those guys were, you know, primarily just, uh, you know, reggae, uh, reggae groups, um, kind of of the, they were of the time of... Um, you know, a, a Britain that was, um, you know, divided racially, but there were just sects um, where they constantly combined, and uh, you know, and they and they just had they tried to have a good time in in any way they could, um, and that's where that's why the specials and UB40, well UB40 especially, is still touring. Um, that's the reason why they have um, them, them guys have still you know survived for so long. Because, um, you know, they just gauged that audience. They gained an audience because they were that audience. Um, it was hard. It, I, I can imagine it being hard to be such a, uh, to be such a pro-black group and to have the, you know, the content and the context of their work um, be so heavily rooted in, you know, African, Caribbean elements. And um, they're named after fucking Calypso. Like, come on, like, they, I, I, I ask you, ask anybody. I go out. Oh, let me go out right here. Uh, go outside right now and ask anybody. Like you know, name a calypso song. You know what I mean? It's just or, or, what, or ask them what is calypso. You know what I mean? This is not going to happen. So it was is a whilst you, do, you don't need to know that stuff obviously to enjoy this album. Obviously, right? You know, sonically it just works. Um, and I think the reason why it works on that front is because it just has this youth and purity to it, where it doesn't seem it doesn't seem uh, it doesn't seem rigid in any way. The whole thing just flows like like water, to be honest. Um, when you listen to it, um, it just goes from like you said, just uh, these extended uh, instrumental breaks, and then it goes into like you know just, <laughs> just dudes singing Jairostafari and stuff like that. And, um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but see, that's why they keep gaining, like, you know, I've read a little bit about them while you were talking and like every decade someone has kind of brought them back or they've, someone spoken about them or referenced them as influential. And, you know, that's important. Like that's because it's just born out of live instrumentation. You know, it's born out of the jam. And, you know, we've all seen DJ sets where we're just like, this is shit, because they don't know how to manage the mood. It, it feels clunky, you know, cutting. This album doesn't feel like that at all. You know, it feels like from start to finish, it almost feels like I don't even know when the song's ending and starting again. It's just, it's one long experience. And it feels like going to a great live show. You know, you go to a great live show and it just keeps going. There's no lull, you know, you feel engaged the whole time. That's why I don't particularly like going to, you know, I went and saw Bruce Springsteen and I left after an hour and a half. I'm like, 
I'm not staying here for three hours, bro. Like, stop fucking singing. Like, stop, you know, stop the song and talk. And, it, you know, I more enjoy concerts where I go and it's just this whole experience and 90 minutes passes and you're like, how the fuck did that pass? And that's how this album feels to me. Um, and, you know, in, on the, the topic of why they didn't continue releasing albums and why they burned so brightly so quickly and then that flame kind of extinguished, I think we in the modern era forget that you know the 60s 70s 50s 80s even the 80s it was not easy to continue to make music especially on an independent level and i'm not saying that they were independent i mean they had a label behind them but that label has to keep staying behind them it's not easy it was very very expensive to record music to two i mean their fan base was in the u.s right so they need to get over to the u.s and tour they need people to help them they need people to facilitate that and if a label says well, we're not going to make money out of this anymore or you know you've had your moment and they just cut them off you've kind of got to wait for someone else to come in and i mean the problem i feel like in that is not having that core british fan base who we t- we've talked about it a few times um you know talking about british rappers i forget there was some specific rapper that we talked about it might have been a group and they they blew up in the us but they they couldn't sustain their career because when they came back to england they just didn't have the connection, you know. I, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't, it wasn't Money Love. Was it Derek B? No, it wasn't Derek B. It was someone else. But, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the same thing where, you know, they had that ecosystem over there, but they didn't have it over here. And they just kind of petered out. And, you know, we all think of, like, the Rolling Stones who are still touring, etc., etc. They are the absolute anomalies. You know, they're the Taylor Swifts, okay? They're up there at the pinnacle. Nowadays, you can have a band who, you know, has a very small local following who tour forever because, you know, they can just keep doing that. But I think that they got really hamstrung by that fact that they were exported to the US so quickly. And when they came back, everyone's like, well, you know, do you know what I mean? So I thought that was a bit unfair in the end that that happened. Um, But obviously now this renaissance is fucking amazing and like totally deserved. And that's kind of the full circle you want from a situation like that. You know, a really influential group who were taking risks they were making music that other people hadn't heard before um brilliant music very influential and for that to come back around and for them to get their flowers finally like that's a heartwarming story that makes me feel good that you know there's a documentary about it you know that's 1971 bro that's 50 years ago that's a long fucking time ago so no, I mean, I like that story. I like that it came back around. And again, listen to the album if you haven't listened to it and you probably you may not have. I particularly p- personally hadn't heard of them before. Go fucking listen to the album right now. It's going to be a good fucking time. I don't care what kind of music you listen to. I don't care if you like country music or Taylor Swift or whatever shit you listen to at home. If you put this on, you will enjoy it. I promise you, you absolutely will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel that's probably the best sentiment to leave on in that. Um, they did end up receiving flowers, right? And uh, something that they kept referencing in the documentary and also in the Q&A was that they were so dumbfounded by how young their audience was. Um, how young was their audience? Like, uh, I mean, even, even in the cinema, to be fair, like it was a very good mixture. Oh, for real? Very good mixture. Um, and, you know, when you were when, uh, on the documentary footage, uh, there was... Yeah, they just uh, there was there was a lot of um, you know people under thirty, and that's interesting because even you know when I went to uh, when I went to like uh, see the Juice Crew um, years ago, which is sick, <laughs> which is sick. Um, 
even when I went there, I, f- I, I probably was the youngest there. Um, a lot of them were, a lot of the people there were just like over 40. Um, so, you know, and obviously it, it, that's the, you know, Pete Daddy Kane, Roxanne, uh, uh, MC Shan and all that. Um, you know, that's, that's the 80s, that's the 90s, right? And it does, there's no reason for Simone Day to have such a young fan base but um, and such a cult fan base, but um, they do, they have both. And uh, and it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon um, that, you know, for the past 10 years, there's just been this uh, if-you-know-you-know you know vibe about them um, where... You know, I just, like I said, I feel like my dad did me dirty. I was, I was like, have you heard these people? If so, why didn't you put me on? Um, but, yeah, it is what it is. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's good to see them get their flowers now. I think only uh, I think only one of them has passed away um, in recent years. Um, but, you know, the fact that the majority of them are still about, um, uh, yeah, Pablo Gonzalez on the Congas, I think he's the one past. But yeah, the rest of them are pretty, uh, I think, are still going. And, um, you know, it's good. It's good. It's really, really good to know that they are able, they were able and are able to receive the second wind and, um, and actually, you know, continue to tour and uh, to continue to get their name out there and have this documentary now. Just uh, hopefully... Um, hopefully uh, get shown more um, to more people and people get exposed to it because um, I feel like what the documentary did really well was just um, expressing just uh, how many uh, how many people rated them and uh, how many people, you know, owe their entire sound. Yeah, the influence is the, the key part of that. I mean, that's the thing that gets lost a lot these days where people don't talk about... They don't go back far enough in time to discover the influences. And I think that as a music listener, I mean, it's certainly what I did when I was younger. I think you owe it to yourself a little bit. Like if you really like a specific artist in the moment and they're saying, no, this artist was essential to me, go listen to them, man. Like this is a no-brainer to me. So I feel like that kind of sentiment has helped their momentum gain into the 2010s, um, which is great, man. It's fucking right. Like it's it's very appreciated. No, definitely. Um so yeah, man. Um, you know, there's there's plenty. Of, uh, Master Race's uh, first, uh, I think, like first either track or first track he sampled on his uh, on his uh, first album was a Samande track, and um, you know, obviously, there's been plenty Fuji's. Uh, so, oh, let me let me let's see if who samples yeah, got uh, who, the yeah. fed the feds at who samples. Let's see if let's see let's see how much. Uh, how much they've uh, got uh, in their database right here? Let me, f- let me have a look. I feel like they behaves, man. Yeah, no, so they had a, they had a, yeah, plenty, 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 plenty. Um, there we go. Tracks. Let's just go. Dove, for example. Let's go for that. Sampled in a score. Fuji's problems. Wu Tang. You got shot. EPMD. See, uh, that's wild. That's iconic already. Yeah, that's pretty. That's that's, uh, that's pretty much the noble names, but there's plenty of others. I think there's a uh, uh, forty-two in total just for that. Um, on Bra, there's thirty-two. Change and speak, De La Soul. Moving on, Gangstar, Old School, Busy B, uh, <laughs> Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many. The message here got fifteen. Uh, MC Solar, um, who's a franchise. Me and the Biz. That was the Master Race track. Um, the coup. Oh yeah, that they sampled that in that. Oh shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah the coup um, did as well. Uh, King T, uh, Pete Rock. Uh, yeah, man, that's just uh, 
that's just that's just on the four main tracks and there's plenty of others uh throughout uh oh metal fingers there you go mf doom did one as well there you go um eight ball jmg mjg on get crunk uh yeah man see even into the 2000s like Mm, mm mm-hmm yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good, there's a lot here. Though. I feel like that's going to be a bit of a trend now because obviously, you know, if we go back in time and look at the 90s and the 80s and you do a lot of research around or listening to interviews of artists when they were talking about sampling and, you know, going to record stores and finding records to sample, I do feel like that's the next unexplored niche in cinema and just in documentaries is looking at these iconic songs and artists from the 90s and 2000s or 80s and then tracing back to the samples and being like, okay, who is the group? Like, where did this come from? Because I think that that's, you know, there's a rich history there and a, like a great story to be told. I mean, when you've got like legends like that sampling you, I mean, that's special. You know, that's a, that's an actual legacy. That's an incredible legacy. Um, it doesn't shock me at all. I mean, the music's incredible, but like it just shows how many, like the wide array of people. It wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't just Juice Crew who were sampling them and they were all sampling them together. You know, it was fucking Wu-Tang as well. Like, it was everyone, Fuji's, like, that's crazy. Yeah, um, and, uh, yeah, I was literally thinking that when the film ended, it was just like, I wonder if there's just any other group of this nature um, that are just just so underground, but some people know them and some people, you know, um, owe their careers and their entire sound to this group. Um, I don't know if it may be, if, if it... If it if there's any group of that magnitude where, you know, they have that, they have that sample, uh, clout, but they also have the, you know, I owe my artistry to you kind of, kind of clout as well. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. That's why I want, that's why I want the keys to who sampled the database, man. I, I need to message someone and just be like, look, please give me the keys so I can start searching by artist by like year, because to collate something like that and like, just run analysis on all the groups that have just been undiscovered but have been discovered by rappers and do you know what I mean and sampled like that would just be the sickest fucking project but I don't think who sampled is going to let me do that I'll just pay for their pro version that's all I've just got to pay for the pro version oh, fuck paying for shit man <laughs> <laughs> alright we'll, uh, we'll leave it there and um, well I guess it's a lighter note isn't it so uh, yeah Ben you've been here for you've been here in London for a week how's it been I'm in London man so it's my third time in London I came first time in I think it was 2005 on a school trip and uh, changed my life because they just didn't card me in any fucking bar I went into so me and my school friends came and it was a wild trip actually I'm not going to throw any of the teachers under the bus by saying their names um, but the story of it is so we had a school trip and it was going to be to Europe because we were doing it for modern history, but it was going to cost us all five grand each, right? Fuck loads of money. Uh, couldn't go. Don't have five grand. My dad randomly won $69,000 in a radio contest, so I got to go. And the trip was, I would say, the best three weeks of my entire life. Like, hands down, to this day, I have not had a better period in my entire life than that three weeks. Um, you know, there were points where like we'd go out drinking with the teachers. It was just so much fun. It was a bit lawless. You know, you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. No one really cared. Um, and London, as soon as I landed, it just felt special. Like, you know, if, if you've come from another country, like Australia, for example, we don't give a fuck about architecture or anything like that. Like urban sprawl in Sydney, as much money as they can make, build it up to the sky, 
boxes, whatever the fuck you want, knocking down old houses, knocking down anything that was built before 1990 and replacing it with just modern boxes, this shit house. So when you land in London, everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. It's just old. There's history everywhere. And so I'm just walking around and there's history on every corner. It felt like I was learning something every time I saw something. So I came back again the next year uh, with my dad um, which was funny because he and I had a massive fight on the plane and we didn't speak to each other for the whole week. We just lived in the same room, but we just went off and did our own thing, which was interesting because the first time I came to London, obviously I was with a group and, you know, with kids and the teachers and tour guides. The second time I was in London was just a year later. I was a full-blown alcoholic by that point, so I was drinking heavily. So I just spent all my nights out in Soho and just, you know, wandering around and going to shows and getting drunk in bars and it was amazing, man. And I really connected just with the place. Like, I don't know why. I've just always felt an affinity for London. So that was what, 07. So 06. So it was 18 years since I've been here, which is crazy. Uh, I've not been on a long haul flight um, since then. And I like patently refused to do that. I've only been out of the country twice since then. I went to New Zealand twice, which is, it doesn't count as being out of the country in Australia. Um, so this trip, right? This is an important trip. This is a wild trip. This is, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey here about this trip. So I was in a relationship uh, that ended early last year and it was very unpleasant. It was not a good relationship and I was in a really bad way. And my psychologist, this is going to get deep, by the way, guys. So if you, you know, this can get a little bit emotional, a little bit deep. My psychologist used to ask me all the time, what do you want to do? And because I'm quite depressed, I would always say, there's nothing I want to do, you know, and that's been a constant refrain for the last 10 years in therapy for me. You know, what is the one thing that you want to do? And at the top of my list, the only thing I've really wanted to do for the last 10 years is come here, which sounds a bit crazy, um, but it's the truth, man. I've always just wanted to come back to this place because I just felt I needed to come back at least once more in my life and just be part of it and feel it again. So the relationship ended and I made my decision back fucking last early last year i was like i'm gonna come to london so i told my parents because i was originally going to come in 2020 so we we're going to come in 2020 my parents it was their 40th wedding anniversary we we're going to meet up in london and we we're going to have a great time together but obviously covid happened so we couldn't do that so i was like fuck it man i'm going to come so i told my parents oh, i'll probably go in february you know next year so they booked their tickets right without telling me so they booked a month in Ireland and they're going to come back here for the last couple of days. But they booked all their tickets before I'd done anything. So they're like, when are you booking your flights? I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to book February. It's just cold. It's wet. I think I'm going to, you know, plus I was quite unwell. So I was like, yeah. My parents were like, we already booked. You've got no choice. So fuck it. I got locked in, man. February 19th was my date. So we did that in like July last year. And from that point, my mental health deteriorated so fucking rapidly, more rapidly than any other time in my entire life, to the point where the last two months have been the worst two months of my life. I was recently re-diagnosed with ADHD. Before I came, I saw my psychiatrist twice. Um, in the other room, there's a fucking pharmacy, man. Like, seriously, the amount of drugs I have on me, all prescribed, by the way, all legal, totally fine. Got a little letter from my, my psychiatrist. But the last session I had, you know, ADD, I don't know if you guys know a lot about it. I've had it since I was a child and I, I was medicated with Ritalin. It's a very, very, very unpleasant thing to have to deal with unmedicated because 
a lot of people describe it as chaos, like chaos in your brain. Um, the way that I would describe it is it's very difficult to concentrate on anything and it's very difficult to hold one thing at a time for more than a couple of minutes. Your brain is jumping around constantly, which means that you're kind of walking through life on autopilot a little bit because you're you're stuck in your head. You're just thinking constantly, which is a terrible thing to do if you're about to travel overseas because, you know, the amount of stuff I have, like I've got to keep my passport, my phone, my wallet, I've got to keep it all safe. So I said to my psychiatrist, I'm like, you need to fucking help me with this before I go to London because, you know, the the way that we were getting through, the, the other side of it is I haven't been sleeping. So if I'm unmedicated, I literally do not sleep. So I've been smoking weed for the last, you know, two months every single day, prescribed again and under, you know, doctor's orders and everything. So all of a sudden, this trip that I was planning that was going to be amazing, this reconnection with London, it came at a time when my psychiatrist said to me, I can't treat you for ADHD. I can't give you a stimulant because you also have anorexia, so you're underweight, and you also have a heart condition because of how much Seroquel you've taken. Seroquel is an antipsychotic that you take for anxiety. So she's like, I can't medicate you. I'm sorry. And she's like, you also can't take your cannabis overseas with you. And I'm like, well, what the fuck do I do? So she's given me like this raft of things. So again, you've got to remember, before I came, I even said to my psychologist, I'm like, can you tell me not to go, please? Can you? Because I don't want to go. Like, I'm fucking terrified of this trip. And she's like, this is the most important thing potentially you've ever done in your life. She's like, this might be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. But she's like, you have to do it. You can't back out now. So, you know, for the last couple of weeks before the trip, I was absolutely fucking petrified. And my parents have been in Ireland. um, So I didn't have a lot of support back home. I had all my friends and everything. Uh, but I you know, was just spending a lot of time alone. So I was petrified, man. I was really terrified. The flight over was fucking horrific. We got delayed Qantas. At least I didn't lose my bags, which was a fucking... I was certain, man. I was standing at the carousel. I'm like, I'm not getting this fucking bag. There's zero chance this fucking bag's coming out. It did. Got to London. My Airbnb didn't open till 2 p.m. I got there at 8 a.m. Completely underdressed completely fucking underdressed so i was freezing hauling this fucking so i don't know you, you guys see me on youtube and stuff you, you see that i i you know I, I dress quite exuberantly i do not dress conservatively so when i was on the plane i had bright pink pants on i had bright pink socks i'd painted my nails i had my hair straight up i got a pink suitcase i'm walking around london just looking like a fucking dingbat especially because it's freezing cold and I'm underdressed. Everyone's just staring at me and I'm just like, this is awful. I felt like absolute shit on the first day. I just did not want to be here. But progressively over the week, it has gotten a lot easier. The first couple of days were difficult because we're just pissing down rain every fucking day. The fucking Airbnb fucking leaked. So that's all been a fuck up. Um, But honestly, you know, I think, what was the day that I saw you? Was that Thursday? Wednesday. 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 So Charlie messaged me on Wednesday, right? You know, a big reason I want to come to London is to see Charlie. I never met Charlie before in my life. I've been doing a podcast for five years. Like, that's a massive reason to come. But I was in such a bad way on Wednesday, and Charlie messaged me. He's like, do you want to come out? I was like, fuck yeah. So 90 minutes on the train out to see Charlie. Um, And it was just such a great fucking time, and it was just you know like charlie introduced me to his people showed me around his town 
And, you know, I, that's when I actually felt reconnected to London. I'm not saying I'm a Londoner. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying I'm English. In the making. No, you know what I mean? Not at all. I could live here for sure. I love the, the fucking bleakness of this place. You guys are... You guys are stoic. That's the way I'll say it. It's cold. It's rainy. People just... I was on the train, the other, on the bus the other day, right? I was pissing down rain. And I, I didn't want to be on the bus. I was having a panic attack. It was very hot. If you, if you have anxiety and you have panic attacks, for me personally, heat sets me off. So, if I feel hot, all of a sudden, I start sweating and get hotter and hotter. And I'm like, I can't get off the bus because it's raining. I'm just watching people. They're just walking. No umbrellas. Just walking everywhere in the pissing down rain. I'm like... I could do that. So I got out and just walked around with all London in the middle of the rain. And that's, again, I felt reconnected. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, so, yeah, when I was with Charlie and just hanging out, I caught the train back into London. And I'm like, fuck, now I feel like I'm, I don't know, I feel like I'm here now. And so we went to a gig. Um, it wasn't the next day, was it? No, Thursday was the next day. And then we went to a show on Friday. That was fucking epic, man. So who who opened on Friday? Um, Benji Appiah and uh, Blue Lab Beats. So Benji was on the on the drums. It, absolute fucking insanity. Like straight up fucking insanity. The drumming was insane. But like, you know, the whole time they were just improvising. It was this straight improvisation. And it was just so tight and it was so enjoyable. And then Blue Lab Beats came out, right? Now, I'm not the biggest Blue Lab Beats fan. We've done them on the pod before. And we I think we did it, uh, was it Neighbours? Yeah, I think it was a Neighbours. Uh, contemporary cool. Contemporary yeah. cool. Um, so, in my head, I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know. But they were fucking amazing. And what, what was the guy on the drum machine? Yeah, NK, okay. Holy shit, guys. Okay, I don't know if there's any YouTube up of him on the drum machine, but if it exists, then please fucking go because it was the wildest shit I've ever seen this man with his fingers just and so Charlie like taps me on the shoulder and you can like see the shadow like this giant shadow on the concert hall wall of him actually fucking doing it oh it was insane and then when the gig was over they just had this crazy jam session for like an hour that was epic okay and as someone from Sydney we don't have that in Sydney okay we don't have the amount of museums, the amount of concert halls, the amount of shows that are on, we just do not have that anywhere near that level. It's like 2% of that. So to just go to a show like that and only pay, what do we pay, like 20, 30 pounds or something? For yeah, it's 20 quid each. Which is a fucking bargain for that kind of that kind of night. It was insane. We're going out again tonight to another show similar. Um, it's just like that was when I was like, oh, I'm here, man. I'm finally fucking here. And today we went and saw City of God. Uh, which I haven't seen for like 22 years or 20 years or something. Absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, man, I'm feeling I'm feeling better. Like tomorrow, I'm gonna pay. Like in terms of physical, emotional, like I'm gonna be completely destroyed. It was funny on Thursday after we'd spent Wednesday together. That was one of the worst days of my life physically. Like I just I almost threw up like 10 times in the street. It was just a bad day, and. I showed Charlie before I bought Big Ben. So I was I was in a bad way. Like, you know, I told... I, I revealed a lot to your dad the other day. <laughs> you know what? Okay, I haven't even revealed some of those things to my current partner. And I just said it to his dad. So I was just like, yeah, I'm on disability. I've got OCD. I've got this. I've got that. And your dad was fucking lovely about it. He was very understanding, asked questions about it. But I'm, I'm in a severe state. Like, I'm, I'm not well... So I'm walking around London just crying, 
having panic attacks, almost throwing up. And I just walked past Big Ben. It was piercing down rain. And like, I had this total flashback to 2005 when I first saw it. And like, the people I was with and just, I'll cry, I'll cry. I'm not going to cry. It's all right. I'll be fine. But like, it was just a really special moment. I looked up at Big Ben and I was like, fuck, man, it is fucking impressive, isn't it? I mean, the clock and the structure and everything is just beautiful. And I just looked back down and there was this kid in a pram and he just pointed up at it. And then he just looked at me. He just gave me the biggest smile. And I was like, oh, and I felt good in that moment. And, you know, again, if you know about mental illness, you, you never feel good. You don't feel positive emotion. I do not feel positive emotion. So in that moment, I felt positive emotion. And I went straight into a fucking souvenir shop and bought a fucking 25 pound Big Ben so that I can have it for the rest of my life just to remember that moment. And you know that, in that moment, I was like, that's why I came, you know, that's why I came because it was such a challenge for me to get here. It was so difficult. Everyone in my life is terrified at the moment. Like I've got a treatment team at home who are checking in on me every day, you know, to make sure I'm sleeping, eating, because if I don't, if, you know, I I was gonna coin the phrase earlier about medication math. Um, If you take a lot of meds, you probably understand this. It's not an exact science, you know, it's an evolving thing. You've got to like listen to your body every day um, and only take meds when you need them. But you also have to take them when you need them because otherwise you can end up in a really dangerous situation. As someone who's already underweight, if I didn't sleep or eat for this two weeks, I would literally end up in hospital while I'm over here, which is not what we want to happen. Um, So yeah, in that moment, I was like, that's why I'm fucking here. And yeah, the whole trip opened up from there and it's just been fucking amazing. So tonight we're going out to a gig. Um, My parents are getting here on Tuesday. Hopefully this Airbnb shit will be sorted and I'll be upstairs because you know what you're seeing right now, bro, I can't tell you how many things have gone wrong on this trip. Like I left my earbuds on the plane. My flight was delayed. Singapore, they fucking patting me down and grabbing my balls and it was wild. Okay. So like we're we're on a plane from sydney to london you stop in singapore all you do right you get off the plane you walk 10 meters around to another gate to get back on the plane in that 10 meters the singaporean police assume that you've picked up all sorts of contraband so they're like patting me down grabbing my testicles grab my ass and i'm like there's nothing in there i haven't had a chance to fucking put anything in there yet like so that was unpleasant. I get on the plane, right? And I got long, look at these fucking long legs, right? And I'm mad poor. So I'm sitting in economy, get on the plane. First thing I see, the cunt in front of me, he's got his seat right back already. He's already asleep. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be fucked. So I'm just sitting there with my fucking knees around my ears for the whole trip. So it was just shit. It was shit. I got here the first morning. I was in such a bad way. But now I really do feel like I'm in the trip now and I feel confident. I've got my medication math down. Um, I'm just having a fucking blast, man. Like I'm not feeling positive emotion, but I know objectively and intellectually that this is good. Like I'm doing something positive and I will look back on this in time and be like, this is a very special time in my life. So, you know, it's not just a little leisure holiday for me. Like this is, you know, it's an important thing for me, but yeah, that's my London story. So I'm enjoying myself. And Charlie has been fucking amazing. Very, very understanding, very accommodating. And he's shown me a lot of cool shit. So fucking good trip, man. Good trip so far. So yeah, that's the London story. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Ryan as well. Yeah, we I, I forgot Ryan, man. Ryan's fucking legend. So that was cool because we talked a little bit about Central Source. 
So when did Ryan come into Central Source? Like, was that like 2019? But he's cool, man. Ryan's a sick dude. Like, he was very softly spoken. Um, but fuck, he's knowledgeable and passionate as well. And like, you can have such a great conversation with him. So that was a great day, man. We went record store shopping, uh, went to the bookstore. Um, nah, man, that was fucking sick. Shout out to Ryan. Yeah, no, nah, Ryan's good dude. Um, there's always a, a good, uh, a good, like, a uh, mirror to just like throw words at and then just watch what comes back. And it's always thoughtful. Um, so yeah, it's always good to have a, it's always good to talk to people of that ilk. Um, so yeah, shout out to Ryan on that front. You know, you, you hide your stuff well, <laughs> incredibly. Um, you know, apart from, uh, apart from not eating like this, it's hardly, you know, you see him on a decent level most of the time. So, um, yeah, you persevere very well. So I appreciate that. Um, I respect that. Um, yeah, man. So uh, yeah. Hopefully the rest of the trip goes well. Um, we do have uh, another episode to record, um, and I'll come to you guys obviously next week. Uh, we're doing obviously uh, Women's History Month as well. Um, so it's going to be just uh, just yeah, just fe- just female rappers coming through once again. Um, got a really good set for this for this year as well. Um, I have a I think a list of. For the next at least two two years. Um, oh, so. for real? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's I've been, you shared that with me. And it was yeah. I've been, sick. I've been, I've been slowly, I've been slowly just writing down just names that I hear and see and whatever. Um, so yeah, I've got at least like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, about like thirteen ish, like some of that. So yeah, got plenty for that. Um, got a couple. Got a couple for UK BHM for the next couple of years, so yeah, we're pretty sorted for the for our special years, um, for the special months. But um, yeah, for so for this week, uh, for this month of uh, well, the next month in March, um, gonna be doing um, uh, Sister Soldier, um, who obviously we referenced in the Public Enemy free pass. So that was obviously a very um, I already had her on down anyway. But it was just coincidental yeah, that, that we... Out. I was thinking about that yesterday when Chuck D was on the arm. I'm like, yeah. this worked out real well. Like, we should do a public enemy, just like, you know, universe episode. Yeah, it was that'd, close. That'd be it was close. cool. It was close. Um, we could do poor white teenagers, or uh, poor black teenagers. <laughs> Not fucking do that shit. Fucking up. Your idea. <laughs> but yeah, we're also doing uh, Hurricane G, who obviously died last, I think it was last year. So that was a no-brainer. Um, we're also doing Marvelous and uh, The Conscious Daughters as well. So that's uh, for uh, Women's History Month uh, coming through in March. Um, but yeah, apart from that, we'll leave it at that. Um, we've cracked an hour, so yeah, might as well kill it there. Um, but yeah, we're here in person. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. It's good. It's fresh. It's different. Um, and hopefully the recording actually comes out well because... It's going to be hot. <laughs> It's going to be such a bitch of an edit. That's right. i got nothing to do tomorrow. I'll edit my vocals and yeah. Yeah, we'll fix it. We'll, we'll be all right. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. there. Um, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there. Uh, from the 5EPN, it's been Digging Digits. I hope you this episode. I've been Charlie Taylor of the Fifth Element. I've Ben Carter from Hip Hop Numbers live in London. Live in London. Uh, we hope you all have a good week. We sure us trying to do the same. Uh, happy March and we miss history month for when we get to it but until then until next time take easy ladies and gentlemen alright peace
The Canadian Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza Video Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to Chill Hop Music for the ability to use. Socials with Fenomen, Hip Hop by Numbers Bonus Points, and Chill Music will be in the full show notes, as well as links of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 EPM production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll just see you next time. We'll dig in. In the digits.